Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This episode is what we called majors versus minors, uh, enterprise data centers versus blockchain, Bitcoin, distributed ledger data centers. And we dove into the differences in processing requirements and environmental requirements for those two different uh, use cases. And it's really fascinating because while the idea of blockchain and distributed ledger should generate very different computational profiles, uh, in a lot of cases, what we're building keeps coming back to the design of a data center is the design of a data center with the exception of proof of work Bitcoin, where uh, it's really just how many CPUs can you run. Um, And we chose to focus not on that, but on the proof of stake data center infrastructure. And if if you don't understand what those two things are, this podcast will also be helpful um, to understand the difference for that. and try to resolve sort of where we are going. I think there's a clear consensus uh, on the call and and, in some of the broader IT communities that proof of work is environmentally not sustainable while proof of stake is much more interesting. And we talked about that to an extent. Uh, This is just one part of many. I know you'll enjoy the conversation. We typically talk about data centers as you know, enterprise or cloud infrastructure systems. But, you know, we've seen, especially in Texas now, a ton of data center, and I'll air quote data center infrastructure, I think is part of what we'll talk about, being built for one purpose, which is crypto mining um, and and hashing. And and I think that the, the topic came on our list because I think the design and utility of those data centers is very different. And so the topic today was going to be how are how are you know how are these different? What's changing? And they be the same? Um, and then I had notes in here about like resource consumption on them, budgets, um, the influence of the OEM um, and data center markets, the lifetime of the equipment, like where where things are going, blend of silicon resources. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of a lot of pieces in here that I think. Are going to influence these markets are going to influence each other, um, and I do have one request in this. Um, as a blanket statement, I think that a lot of people uh, believe or agree that crypto. I'm trying to not take a position on it for this conversation, but so I'm asking people not to take a an anti crypto uh, position from an environmental perspective, which I, I would do by default, but. I think in this case, what I'm going to ask is, let's not, I don't want to rehash that. I, my assumption is crypto is a force in this market, whether we think it's ethical or environmentally um, challenging or not. I think I would ask people to skip that to discuss the fact that it's here um, and then focus on the, the change in the market, if that's okay with people. Sure. May I um, ask you to let yes. me share my screen for a second? Happily, go ahead. It should be. It should allow you. If not, I'll I'll poke it. Okay, I'm just getting there. I'm going to make you a co-host. 
Okay. There's a there's a whole different, you know, we could have a whole other topic on the whether or not the environmental impacts on this stuff are, is true. But can you all see that? Yes. Yes. I thought it was apropos. Oh, interesting. This is perfect. Yes. <laughs> So if you look at it, there are some significant differences there. And I would also caveat this with um, the consensus mechanism that's used by the crypto or NFT or enterprise blockchain will differ between proof of stake and proof of work. Proof of work would be more the crypto mining. Proof of stake might be more the blockchain data center. So the requirements are different. And particularly in terms of things like, ooh, uh, utility consumption, mm -hmm. right? Five to 50 versus 50 to 100, 50 to 200. Um, I don't think the blockchain data center utility consumption accurately reflects the proof of stake uh, consumption. It, it, it is it is it is lower, particularly with okay, particularly with uh, blockchains that. Um, where where validators um, uh, need to um, well, so with, with proof of stake blockchains, frequently the, the validators need to be approved before they can join the chain. Um, so the the and the per node compute requirement is significantly lower. Like a validator can run on a Raspberry Pi. Um, and on our most uh, proof of uh, stake blockchains. Um, so unless we're talking about a massive scale blockchain, the utility consumption is not accurate for, for proof of stake specifically. I, I would probably think that proof of work might be understated even, um, but that's just my take on it. Well, I... Hmm. Um, I was looking at, uh, if you look at the newer level one chains, uh, somewhere like uh, whether it's Solana or Filecoin or um, what is it, Advantage, um, in two of the cases, they're actually recommending using EC2 instances. For blockchain. So I'm not sure for blockchain, not for crypto mining, right? No, it's for proof of proof of stake networks. Proof of stake, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just to I, I'm happy to send this out by the way. It's a yeah. generic chart. Yeah, I'd like to see it. To say it. Um quick question. If one were yep. to add two more columns to this. Mm -hmm. and use that as 
to some degree, a historical a means of historical comparison for two other kind of built for purpose data centers. And you were to put a CDN and IoT, industrial IoT, would there be a significant resemblance to any of the others? Would there be a, anything that is notably different? Um, I would have to look at that. I would say for the IIoT that you would not necessarily have them as an enterprise data center as itself. I think you would see it as more edge computing within the data center realm, mm -hmm. if that makes sense to you. And, you know, I, I look at this and, and to your point, Klaus, I don't disagree with you that, yes, you could run a validator node on a, a Pi, but when I see some of the newer cryptos, um, or even the entities that are using some form of blockchain recommending an EC2 instance, and, and you go and you look at the EC2 instance that they're recommending, and you sort of say, why? Like, what are you going to do as a validator node if Amazon goes down again, or GCP, or any of the others? <laughs> uh, it's funny that you ask because I part of my part of my uh, what I did when I worked at my my last uh, blockchain related position was to spec out the, the nodes for a proof of uh, stake uh, chain. Um, the argument for um, recommending an EC2 type instance. So it's not so much recommending AWS specifically, but it's more recommending a cloud instance in general. Reason for that being is that uh, one of it, it's primarily security. Actually, one one of the 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 reason one of the things that proof of stake uh, blockchains are a vulnerable tool is direct attacks against specific validators. They're resilient to, to chain level attacks, but if you are a validator and, you, and, and your node gets DDoSed, you need to be able to bring up another one to replace it. Okay. Uh, so, so, and that is why cloud instances are recommended because you, you, you not only uh, get to spin up an instance quickly, but you get a whole different uh, net, network address. So that your new instance uh, is, is a whole, it's a completely different target. If you run it in your own data center, you need to protect your own network in addition to your, your hardware. 
Now, one of the things also mm. that I noticed on, on your chart, uh, like on the reliability side, uh, it, I was mentioned low to medium. Uh, that is arguable depending on your architecture as a client on, on the blockchain. Um, you need to have redundancy uh, and you need to have uh, hot spares for redundancy or, or, or at the very least warm spares. Or hot sites maybe, right? Yeah, you, you, need, yeah. you need to have... So, so you, with, with, with the blockchain node, you cannot quickly spin up another one and have it ready to validate because you need to have a full copy of the blockchain. Uh, yes, sure. there, there's new blockchains. There's new changes like, like Cardano recently uh, submitted a proposal for for having like pruned blockchain validation. But in in most cases, you need to have a full copy of the blockchain. Once it reaches a couple of gigabytes, it becomes an issue of transfer speed. Like you, you only have so many IOPS on 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 your on your on your node before it becomes uh, financially impossible to transfer it quickly. So the recommendation is to have at least one node that's just idling, that that is fully synced to the blockchain, that you can then transfer your validation keys over if you if your other node gets. So can I, I can I I wanted to get specific on this. So you're you're describing a miner of some sort, something participating in blo in blockchain transactions. And you know, having a one-to-one -one doesn't wouldn't make sense to me. I mean, I'm I'm imagining a hundred or a thousand machines in this that um, the there'd be one machine. And as you know, at, at that point, why you don't need a a, a hot backup? You would just have, you have a hundred machines all all doing parallel operations, right? Um, no, no. So this is different in in, in proof of stake uh, blockchains. Proof okay. of stake your node has mm. an identity tied to it. So you, you, you're saying you. this node is is performing the calculations as this staker. You cannot run two nodes with the same staking keys okay. because then you, you're, you get penalized for producing duplicate data. That makes sense. Yeah. So in, so, a case, in a case like that, you're not talking about a lot of computational demand when you could run that in an enterprise data center without any any concern exactly and, and that's that's okay. why why I, I was bringing back to my initial comment about the 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 the, the, the utility consumption on proof of stake chains uh, because it, it's no longer a matter of scale like you you're sure you you, you can run additional validation validator notes but each node needs to be staked individually. Uh, and adding more nodes does not give you faster validation. In, in fact, more, I, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, I have a question because this is something that I was hmm. uh, looking at yesterday. Klaus, why then are there specific, if you go through the documentation and I went through it, at great length on several of these, 
the validator documentation recommends no more than, let's say, two, two servers per node. Why would they limit the scale per validator node of the number of servers if data center is a good way to go? Or alternatively, if you can run it off of a pie, why not have multiple pies? Um, like, you, I don't you, want you to, may have, you, you, you may have transposed the recommendation. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I haven't seen the documentation that you read that, but I'm going to go out on a limb and, and say that the recommendation there is to not run two more than two validator instances per compute instance. So, so no, no more than two services per instance. No more than two services per node. Yeah. So, so per instance. Yeah, and and, and the reason for that is, is that uh, the these these kind of validators are very IOPS intensive, and and if and, yeah. and, and the more you run, like if you run two, you're essentially halving your your, your available IOPS per per instance, unless okay. you have separate volumes for it, but but. For simplicity's sake, most of the, the, the documentation will recommend running only one, I, on, on a typical scenario, on, run only one uh, service per node. You run another one if you, if you need to do an upgrade and, and you want to do a hot upgrade. So, so basically you run the two services, uh, you transfer the, the, the with each one with different keys, you, uh, you, you move your validation, from from one key to another, and then you shut down the, the first service. That that is actually something that that is documented as a as SOP on um, on, on some blockchains. Well, that, the reason I yeah, the reason I to that point, the reason that I put this one up to share instead of the other one is. I can, and I'll send both of these out. This was actually done with a friend of mine uh, from eight, uh, Enrico Camaranelli in Italy. And what we're seeing, both of us are predicting is the combination of different types of proof. Like some are, like if you look at Solana, for example, it's proof of stake plus proof of history. In another case, it's proof of stake plus Proof of time, which could also be called history. Um, but there's all these different permutations and combinations, and each has an impact on the, the utility in the data center. So if you looked at a data center and started trying to provision the different kinds of servers that would go around that, you have to be constantly aware that each combination of proof of stake might have some more GPU oriented versus CPU oriented might need more RAM. And this is why the notion of cloud is coming up. What I find is very interesting is um, the most recent patents that are, or, or trademarks that are being filed for the metaverse and also for blockchain decentralization or crypto are all using some uh, Machiavellian sort of proof of something plus something plus something, which is going to continue to evolve until you get to the point of you might as well just put high performance computing in the most robust and secure data center you can find 
and use that. Wait, I, okay. Because at the end of the this day, we're, we're just going to need a lot of compute to do this. Sorry, say that again. So this, you you just hit on the thing that I'm 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 trying to understand with this because it it seemed to me now, now granted we're talking about different types of proof proof of X right where the yep. the, the right some of the, the the some of the proof of work stuff the Bitcoin specifically it's like put it in data centers that people can turn off and containers that don't have to be robust or resilient but then you you just said it's going to end up being back in a, you know, highly secure performant enterprise style data center with like an HPC system. Yeah. Like the opposite, the opposite end of that spectrum. Uh, yes. And, and I said that because if you look at the level one networks, which are like um, Bitcoin and Ethereum and whatever, even, even Ethereum is now moving to proof of stake from proof of work. Right. Because the whole hullabaloo around Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin mining is, you know, from a sustainability perspective anyway, is it's using way too many resources in terms of electricity and, you know, carbon and all of that sort of thing. Right. Um, whereas proof of stake uses less. And the more occurrent uh, chains that are coming out as level one chains are trying to get away from that notion by going to proof of stake but it's proof of stake plus. And that's why I think it's coming back to, you might as well just configure your server to be, you know, local as opposed to cloud and very robust, very high, high, highly performant wherever you can and or start separating compute away from storage because Which it's the compute power you're going to need. But that sounds like back to an enterprise data center. And then with proof it of is. stake, yeah. and with, with proof of stake, now you're talking about keys and physical access to the systems. So we're back to needing to protect that and the environmental, you know, all the all the security and protections that we normally associate with a data center um, come back, you know, come sort of back into that. Is that a fair? Yeah. If I'm part of proof of stake and somebody steals my server, I'm in I'm in I'm in some trouble. Just like if they stole my Bitcoin wallet. The, the, there's actually a couple of misconceptions there that, that I need to clarify. Um, so first one, with with proof of stake, uh, it getting high performance local compute is is not going to give you an edge over other validators. As long as you can validate with within the next uh, as, uh, before that the next block comes around, like it, it, it the the the, res the the requirements on your validation node are dictated not by uh, by your not not by the size of the chain not not by your by your compute power. But primarily, or I mean, they're, they're dictated a little bit by your primary. But primary, the 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 main thing that you need to worry about when you run a validator on proof of stake is that you are able to validate before uh, before. So you're able to to push out 
or propose a new block before another block has been uh, proposed. Uh, or before, uh, before, and uh, sorry, not before another block has been proposed, but before another block has been added to the chain. So it does it. So in proof of stake, it's not. It does not matter that you propose a block first. What's matter is that you propose a block in due time. So there is a hard cutoff after which additional compute power gives you nothing. I don't disagree with that, but add add one layer, which maybe you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but depending on which blockchain or crypto you're talking about, how they choose who can validate and who isn't in this epoch for validation is very random. Correct? It can be arbitrary, yes. That, like, yeah, it can be very arbitrary on, on, on the blockchain. Yes, right. And and so depending on the operator of the chain, you have it's, it's kind of like a crapshoot about whether you're going to be one of the validators chosen for this epic. And in the course of doing that, I look at it slightly differently than you you do because. It's their consensus model and the way in which they choose the validators, the random algorithm that they use, or how much stake you have, or how large your stake is above minimum to become a validator, because you're actually financing the network by your stake. Um, but then you also have to be available for notes and awareness and before the epic launches and while the epic is is in process, etc. But you're still in this roll the dice mode of am I going to be chosen or not? Now a lot of uh, that we sorry the, how that validation. Let, okay. let me just add something here because not I, I I'm not sure everyone here knows what an epic is. Okay. Yeah. So so an, uh, so an epic is a window where multiple blocks get added. So it, it it's it's. Mm. Kind of, kind of, kind of like like a like a cycle of, of blocks. Yes. So, the, so this might this an epic might be an hour, it might be a day. It, it largely depends on 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 is, on how the operator of the, of the blockchain designed it. An economic size for this, though, like at, at some point, you don't need more participants. Yes. And, 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 yeah. So so so. Typically, a blockchain will have a cap of active validators. Okay. So, so whoever gets chosen during an epic will be an active validator for that period. When a new epic rolls around, there is a chance that a new batch of validators may be chosen or not. Typically, this is done based on huh. a validator's performance during the previous epic. So if they had good uptime, they will be chosen again. Uh, if they were flaky or if they were penalized, they will likely be dropped. Hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot more more to becoming a validator than people realize. There's a lot of randomness to the choice of whether you are chosen or aren't chosen, and some of it is based on stake, how much you're how much you're putting in. And you can also do things like lease 
part of your stake or bring other people who are not actually running the node on board, delegate and such. So there, there's a lot of these weird sort of um, random things that go into it. And my view is from the data set, from the data center perspective, I would rather pay for more and have it available as I need it on the just in case rather than the just in time um, for numerous reasons, because hmm. to me, the, the ones that grow highest or the highest growth cryptos at this point, and even NFTs are those that are um, conquering the trilemma, which is basically a problem that uh, Vitaly Buterin figured out that if you're going to scale massively for mass adoption being your goal, that you're going to have to sacrifice either security or scale Okay. or something with the chain, right? There, there's like three different areas that you would look at. And amongst those three, if you can do, if you can, if you can scale massively without giving up security or network performance, like transaction speed, then that's the one that's going to win ultimately. And for that, you need the horsepower. It may be configured slightly differently on each network, GPU, CPU, RAM, you know, whatever, I.O. But if you go for the gold, so to speak, and then don't use it, it might cost you something. That's true, the, the cost of, of, of the service. But you have the scalability, you have the robustness, you have the security and all the protections and reliability of the data center versus something like a single person trying to run a node on a Pi. Yeah. Um, and this is where the equanimity comes in. They're not equal. But So so let me, because I, I could see somebody, a whole bunch of participants in a smart contract setting up proof of stake nodes in a distributed way where the different participants in that contract system are all participating in the proof of stake say you get to 100 or 200 participants for that contract chain, right? It doesn't, you don't, I mean, we're, we're, we're not, we don't all have to be on the same chain for, for the, this economy to work, but we do have to have validators for each chain. We have to have, we have, have, have to have a, a distributed set of multi-party val, uh, participants to, to make any of the chains work, right? You have to have decentralized. Decentralized. Not right. distributed. Uh, oh, interesting. And they are Lots. different. Okay. They are different. They're different. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I have a picture that I can probably put up, but um, decentralized think hub and smoke kind of architecture. So you have a bunch of hubs with with uh, um, uh, little dots. You know, the hub connects to dots through a bunch of lines. That's decentralized. In peer to peer, which is what distributed is, uh, that's a different kettle of fish. Because to your point, Rob, a hundred people participating in a contract. Go look at IBM blockchain hyperledger. Okay. Because that's what it's designed to do, is to go through 
um, an entire set of transactions from uh, farm to fork, so to speak, right? Where every part of that supply chain would be one of those hundred members in that distributed network that you just described. Mm-hmm. Decentralized is fewer fewer nodes with branches. Sorry, I'm saying that wrong. Ultimately, the peer-to-peer connection is not done peer-to-peer. It's done through nodes. So a node could have 500 attached to it, but then you may only have 50 nodes talking to each other. And and that also brings a, a an architecture problem to uh, right. to the blockchains as well, particularly on blockchains that have a short period between blocks. Uh, like Polymesh, uh, for example, the, the one that, that I work with uh, or uh, supported, we, we had, we, we, it has a six second period between blocks, which means that if your node takes two seconds to validate a block, that, mean, uh, that means that you cannot be, um, you can only be two uh, two nodes away from another validator before your the blocks that you produce become untimely. Hmm. Right? Because you you it takes you two seconds to produce a block. It takes your peer node two seconds to 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 validate what what you right. uh, what what you produced. And it takes the next peer down the uh, down the graph two more seconds. That that that's your full six seconds. Any 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 uh, node further disconnected will reject the block that you produced because it's no longer timely. So you so 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 the the architecture of your chain um, makes a big difference on what kind of topology you you can uh, produce. Which is why proximity is far more of an issue in Web3, which is the decentralized web, the the middle diagram, than distributed, although it would become even more relevant in distributed. Again, it it, it depends on on the frequency of of your block production. Right. If you if you produce a block every minute, then you have those full sixty seconds, uh, and then network latency, uh, and, and not so much peer proximity, uh, is is the the bigger separator. Like you, yeah. you like you, um, one minute between blocks is sufficient to to have multiple hops span across the whole planet. But once you, you start going to like interplanetary, that becomes a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Starlink. Um, <laughs> I, I would I would suggest. I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I would say also though that the notion of proximity and decentralized doesn't only apply to decentralized ledgers, which is what blockchains are, or crypto networks, or NFTs but also applies to think about a retail, you know, a a major retailer or a chain where they want to be as close to their customer as possible. 
then you would want to have, you know, like millions of nodes with offshoots and be very local, but on a global scale. Mm -hmm. Logistics as well, like where you put your warehouses. Yeah, everything. Everything is implied because, I mean, one of the issues that we haven't talked about, which also relates to data center and how they're configured for this new world of Web3, metaverse or otherwise, is going to be um, around the notion of transaction speed. Right now, we're all, you know, um, what's the word, privileged by the fact that we can go to an ATM, shove a card, a piece of plastic in a machine and get cash, you know, four seconds later. Right. Um, blockchain has an issue, particularly those that are um, uh, proof of work, like Bitcoin, they cannot process the transactions quickly enough. This is why Ethereum is moving from proof of work to proof of stake to be able to not only to scale, but because the transaction speed and the validators do more than just create blocks, they verify transactions, they also secure the network. So they're required to have security and transaction speed, the faster they can process, the fast, the, the more happy the user will be. Um, that also factors into it. So this is why I go back to my little rant about high-performance computing, because I don't know how you can get from here to there without it. Because we're back now, we're we're back to the speed at which you can you can participate in these networks. Pardon me. You were back to the speed that you can participate in the the, the performance of the the interaction becomes is is back to becoming valuable. In the, in those yes. Cases. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not, it's not just it's not, just it's not just a a data center. It, but then, so this is because I guess I back and like all right that drove us all into cloud at some point because of the elasticity for it but the the work case the cases you're describing are not that they don't have the same elastic nature in this case it's it's a it's a stable participant in a chain and then that you know the performance of that participant is important but it's not something you can elastically burst into the cloud. Actually, this, it's is it is it actually an anti-cloud use case because the stability and the durability of that instance becomes super important. Or, Bingo. No, no, no. I, I would say that that it's an anti-microservice use case because these are stateful okay. workloads. Ah, uh, that's a good point. Like the 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 the, the big problem with with with, with with having failover, uh, as as I mentioned, like transferring your 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 blockchain data, like, like it's mm. it's it's restoring the state that, that that's slow. It's much more failure resilient than traditional stateful uh, systems like uh, uh, traditional databases, but it's still it's still stateful. Uh, and that is the problem with with setting up failure uh, failover is that you need to you need to layer it on top of what cloud currently offers. There's no native way uh, of saying, "Oh, my node is down, restore it uh, or, or recreate it." Uh, so it, it it requires custom implementations. 
There's an interesting component to me of what you're saying in that I, I believe some of the microservices rise in interest is a consequence of the cloud architecture. <laughs> it's people developing a software architecture that, that fit within the, the, the constraints of the cloud uh, from that perspective, rather than like uh, an architecture that people are like, this is the right architecture, um, you know, by itself, it, it is a cloud, it's a cloud artifact. It, it, as much as anything else, yeah. I think it's a bit of a feedback loop, and uh, the the workloads that were easy to scale were the stateless ones. So the, those were targeted first for cloud architecture, and then everything else stateful. The SaaS providers figured out that they can make money out of providing custom <laughs> solutions like RDS. It, it, it's yeah. custom for a very specific problem space. The, mm -hmm. like it, it, it's great because you, you set it up and, and, and you, you forget about a lot of the problems that, that are implicit there. But uh, if you need something that does not fit the solution that they give you, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Do we have enough of a characterization of the metaverse the, the requirements of a metaverse to, to make the same kinds of determinations uh, regarding its impact on the decentralized distribution uh, argument that Joanne's just been describing. Um, I mean, it would, it would seem to me that at this point, Metaverse has so many moving parts, none of them very well determined, not or not very well defined. That um, we're we're sitting there with a a really difficult job of of understanding what the impact would actually be on data center and networking. Um, requirements, protocol requirements. If, you know, you raise an interesting point, Rich, because I was thinking about this from the point of view of content delivery networks. Yeah. And content delivery networks are the ones who are going to be hit the hardest with metaverse because personally, I believe we're going to go through the people will go to the distributed model and realize over a very short period of time that unless you happen to be monetizing it in such a way where people are paying to load content and people are paying to retrieve content, mm -hmm. the distributed model will be, become untenable and they'll go back toward some combination of decentralized and distributed. And if the metaverse is heavily relying on real time or as close to real time interaction between arbitrary points in the metaverse you've mm -hmm. got yet another you know issue which is you know how much of the traffic is about you know a group of people meeting and interacting somewhere in the metaverse um it's uh, I, but Rich, those could be very different experiences for each participant. 
So I, you could have an incredibly yeah. um, I uh, think high definition was... interactive experience on your own server in your own environment. Yeah. I, and then I the think person that was connecting into my, it. That was kind yeah. of my point, Rob. Okay. Uh, that it is distinct and it, it is, it is a, there are some situations where, yes, you can kind of define, all right, I'm going to have a, a reasonably plastic um, approach to the um, the nature of distribution, the interactions, the the protocol. I mean, I mean, we're getting back to you know incorporation of networking um, yeah. as, as a well, the realization that you've got to have. You've got to incorporate networking as a first-class citizen in the questions of, all right, storage, compute, building applications, networking is and plasticity or, or agility of networking uh, is going to be a big issue. It's got to be. I, I agree with that. It's, it's interesting to me because I, I was, you know, Thinking in this conversation, and and John, you you started with the chart, and the chart sort of reinforced this is this idea that we have you know evolving types of data centers. But during this conversation, the more we talk about it, the more I feel like we're we don't <laughs> that the 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 things that we're struggling with in data centers today, and the things that make them you know unique real estate assets are just as important, you know or even become even more important and rich. The challenges you're talking about are, are classic data center problems that are, yeah. you know, just hard problems. They're not in a, a new use case, emerge, you know, that's, that's going to disrupt data center design. Yeah. I, I don't know that it's going to disrupt data center design. I think what we're looking at is the, what was the peak of the data center the enterprise data center minified for each user. Hmm. So you okay. need the same compute, storage, whatever, whatever, the same facility as the data center provides you, but almost on a minified basis for individual users. This is the classic edge use case of what a data gets, center. What gets defined as a user, Joanne? Are we really talking about end users? Or are we talking about buildings or what do you, organization? To me, the user is, well, if I put it in terms of content delivery network, it's the ability to have localized facility for a small group of individual humans. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah, that's why I mean I, minified. Yeah. Yeah. It strikes me as, as mm. at least today, it strikes me that it's, you know, it's kind of small groups. It's yeah. it, it's local. It's localized. Maybe not. It might be kind of hyper localized architectures. So, uh, so kind of kind of like a data center in a shipping container. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or if we were talking about the uh, requirements in a newly built or newly renovated um, 
business center or or some sort of a uh, you know an office building. Um, mm-hmm. Or I think we're also talking about nothing short of the kinds of um, I don't know. I'm thinking of of some of the electric grid you know, the uh, DERs that are, you know, at least in theory, going to be placed <laughs> in in various parts of the uh, of a of a of a country or a state uh, in order or in a in an electrical grid. Um, these are kind of similar, similar requirements. So it's, it's, it's interesting that we've kind of come back to this point, the, this notion of the minified data center, kind of the minified enterprise data center. And how would, I mean, Joanne, if you were to go back to that term, how would you describe mm-hmm. that? What would you, what would be the, what would be the bullet points for that? For, for the or minified data, what is, enterprise what data is, center? It, what is an enterprise data center when minified? Hmm. Um, I would say all the components of a rock, one with my name on it, one with your name on it, one with Rob's name on it, one with Klaus's name on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there any def- is there any impact on? networking within the data center is there yeah sure okay sure i would say it would have to be you know there's emerging protocols i mean in some respects there's ip6 in other respects there's 5g you Mm. would probably Mm. need 6g to come into that data center and some form of ip6 or or mm, different kind of protocol the networking would have to be very, very fast. But this harkens me back to work that I did years and years ago on Road M, which is taking that connectivity, the bandwidth, and parsing it, parsing it out for different uses, one being the video side, one being the 3D rendering side, one being the audio side. You know, We called it Road M way back when. I'm sure that there's a new version of that out there somewhere. Where to to have the experiences of the metaverse, each person, to your point, is going to need something different in the configuration. So the bullet points around the data center minified would be one size never fits all. And there's going to have to be a certain amount of elasticity in each of those rocks. So, right. and you it, know, it strikes me that you need, and, and trying to get back to my other point, you you are going to require, with any, if if you have a performance issue that you're you're addressing, you're going to have to deal with whatever passes as a top of top of rack switch, and and yeah. and how uh, virtualized machines deal with one another inside that minified data center, which starts to talk to, I think, one of the points that was originally raised about this topic, but we haven't really talked that much about, which is um, what does that do to the changes in 
Um, silicon, does it, what does it do in the changes to uh, the, the switching, the internal switching that goes on inside one of these minified data centers? It's, uh, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great rabbit hole to dive into. But and, and, I'll, and I'll track it as a, as a future topic for us in April. Okay. There's also the, the, the much lower tech challenges. Cooling, yeah, physical security, yeah, replacement parts, business con well, continuity in general, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but here's the other thing mm -hmm. that we would also have to figure into that, which may change the two items just discussed. In a metaverse world, each verse is going to be owned or controlled by a different party. And they may have their own requirement for the user's consumption mm -hmm. in that verse. And if metaverse is to truly be a thing, just like with, with chains, chains have to be inter, interconnected or parachained or somehow you know um, go from automotive to electronics or whatever you know kind of configuration you're looking at I use those two terms sort of like dependencies if you will you're gonna have to have the same issue you're gonna have the same issues arise in the metaverse because meta's metaverse will look a whole lot different than Adobe's metaverse mm-hmm and how we move, whether it's moving avatars or other forms of data packets between those is also going to have to be taken into consideration. Yeah. But the idea yeah. in my mind of, of using data centers for this purpose is not to take for granted, but to assume that the security, the power, the power, the cooling, the thermodynamics, everything that's involved in a data center will all will be there it's kind of taking something old and making it new again a list of a list of things to the question on on this i love what you're how y'all are describing it i just i need to put on my skeptics hat for the next conversation about it because i as much as i want to see this y'all know i want to see this decentralized or distributed infrastructure about for a whole bunch of reasons keep coming back to that there's a lot of reasons why i think it's 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 going to struggle without unless we solve some other problem wow another fascinating conversation uh and showing you just how big this issue is there's items that we wanted to talk about about type of infrastructure silicon uh, some of the distributed versus centralized concepts, edge that we only barely got into uh, because it's so important to understand how the proof of stake computational models will play out and how we're going to participate in them, and what those models will look like. Um, and I hope you enjoyed the educational pieces. Since we're going to keep coming back to this, you have a chance to participate. Join us at the 2030.cloud and Bring your voice in. We want to hear your opinions. We want to hear your thoughts on this and your questions. I will see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN. 
where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.